want to say that God can wash and cleanse and forgive and restore. God can take the darkest of sins. God can take the, the multitude, no matter where you've been or how long you've been there or what has happened in your life, God has the power to wash your slate clean. That is how God works. He makes all things new. Welcome to Moody Presents, the weekly Bible teaching program from the Moody Bible Institute, featuring our president, Dr. Mark Joe. I'm John Geiger, and Mark is also the founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago, also heard weekdays on his Bold Steps radio program. You know, we're going to tell you how you can connect each day with his teaching later on in the program. For now, though, let's get right back into our series. There's so much to discover together. Our series is titled Deeper, Going Beyond Shallow Spirituality, with further study on the life of King David. Here's Pastor Mark. What to do when we are slipping and sliding down in our spiritual life? All right, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. I never knew there's like a white lie, a yellow lie, a green lie, a purple lie, a pink lie, and then there's really the brown lies and the black lies. Whoa, those are really bad. I never knew they were color-coded. The reason we've color-coded the lies is we're trying to minimize. We try to say, it's okay if I lie, if there's a good purpose behind my lie. Here's the thing. No such thing exists in Scripture. A lie is a lie, period. Deceit is deceit, period. I remember a story, and, and this is just illustrates how we, how we get into the messes we get into. My grandmother, years ago, in another state, was attending a church, and I had visited this church upon occasion. And I remember one day when she told me with great sadness in her heart that one of the pillars of the church, a man that everybody respected, uh, someone who owned a business and had been treasurer of the church for years and years, how they did an audit and discovered that this man over 10 years had built the church of $100,000. And everybody was just shocked. How could that occur? When it all unraveled, it boiled down to he had, he had a daughter who was going through a divorce. And the daughter was in financial need, and he loved his daughter. And so one time, between the offering and the tabulation or the deposit of it, he had borrowed some money because his daughter was in a financial crisis, and he had, lo- he had given her the money with the thought, I'm going to pay this back, which he did the next week. I just borrowed it. No one's hurt. Loaned it. Don't need to tell anybody. It happened again, and the next time he took a little longer to deposit it back, but in his mind was, it's not bad, I'm paying it back, no one's getting hurt, she's in need. The next time he borrowed and couldn't pay back and borrowed a little bit more, and in his mind is, I will pay it back sometime, I'm really going to get to it one of these days, and by the time it was all said and done, one thing led to another, and this man that had no evil intent rationalized himself into stealing $100,000 from the church. You see, that's how our mind goes. We rationalize. The Bible says that sin is deceitful. Hebrews tells us, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ephesians 4.22 says, put off your old self which is being corrupted by its own deceitful desires. Uh, James 1.13 through 15 really gives us the 
it gives us the anatomy of temptation. It describes how temptation happens to us. It says, hey, when you're tempted, don't say I'm tempted by God because God cannot tempt you to evil. God may test you, but he never tempts you. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Let me tell you something. There is power in the deception of sin. There's two things that the enemy uses very skillfully against us to drag us into sin. One is fear, the other is deception. Fear is the opposite of faith. Decisions that are made out of fear are usually wrong decisions because they're not thinking about the best possible future. They're thinking about the worst possible future. They're not trusting in God. And then deceitfulness it really has to do with promising us something that's not delivered. Sin is always that way. The way that you get into compulsive, addictive behavior, it always starts with a little bit, and here's the way it works. Every drug addict that I've known that's had to go to rehab that's messed up their life, it always starts the same way. It doesn't start by jumping into one mega, massive dose of drugs. It starts with a little but then soon they find out that what made them feel good two days ago now is not sufficient. We have to up the dosage a little bit. But in my mind, I've deceived myself. And oftentimes, it's not until some major crisis or some other people around me wake me up and realize I have been in denial. Because sin is deceitful. You say, yeah, pastor, tell them those, that drug is bad. hey. Every compulsive, addictive behavior, even the benign ones that don't fall under the drug category, the same thing. It deceives us. The third thing that we underestimate and I see in David's life is that we should never underestimate the snowball effect of hidden sin. Never underestimate it. You see, somehow we think that we can keep things under control a bit. And I want you to see what happened with David, and I've, I've described to you what, what happened earlier, but so David goes out, he sees a woman, at any time in this process he could have stopped. He sees a woman, you say, well, he couldn't control that he saw a woman, I mean, she was there, she wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't covered, I mean, I mean, it's not his fault. It's not his fault that he saw her, but you can always control the second look. Hello? What flashes through your mind is one thing. What you choose to dwell on is another thing. And so the fact that he saw her wasn't the problem. The fact that he gazed and gazed again. The fact that he gazed and when he found out that she was a married woman, he still pursued her and asked her to come up. And maybe in his mind he thought, well, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to have a conversation with her because our mind works that way. It deceives us. In the back of his mind, he knew. And when she came up and began to talk and dialogue, they didn't go from talk straight to the bed. They dialogued and flirted and and, and complimented 
each other and, and, and seduced one another. So next thing you know, they're in bed together. Now, any one of those times, they could have stopped. They could have said no. David was a married man. She was a married woman. They could have said no at any moment, but they did not stop the process. He sent her home. Maybe in his mind, afterwards, he felt a little guilty and thought, wow, how did, I, how did I let that happen? Bad chapter, let's move on. Maybe it won't happen again. It's never that easy. He gets a message, a private, secret message. I'm pregnant. Ah, this complicates the issues a little bit. It always is more complicated, by the way. And so now David begins to conceive in his mind because here's what happens. It's a snowball effect of sin. It starts as a little thing, but as it rolls down the mountain of our life, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and it consumes more and more in our life. So David thinks, aha, I'm a smart man. I've got to solve this problem. Where is her husband? He's at the front lines. David sends a message. Bring Uriah the Hittite home. He brings Uriah the Hittite home under the disguise that he wants to find out how the battle is going. He meets with Uriah, talks with Uriah. Then he puts his arm around Uriah and says, Uriah, it's been a tough battle. You've been gone from home a long time. Your beautiful, lovely wife is waiting for you. Go home, see her, have a good time before you get, go back to the battle. Uriah is an honorable man, a man of war, a true soldier. And he says to himself, how can I go sleep with my wife in a nice cozy bed when my men and my platoon is out there sleeping in tents on the floor? I will not do that. So he sleeps on the floor near the palace entrance. Plan B, David brings him up again the next day and says, Uriah, Come with me. Stay another day. Hey, I have some good vintage wine that I want to treat you to. You've been battling hard. Have another cup. Have another cup. The king gets Uriah drunk, thinking to himself, a drunk man has low resistance. I will get him drunk and then send him to his wife. That plan will work. And when Uriah is nice and drunk, through the manipulation of King David, the writer of the Psalms, the author of Scripture, the lineage of Jesus. Then he sends him home, go to your wife, she waits for you. Uriah is still honorable. He says, even in his drunken stupor, I will not go, and sleeps at the palace entrance on the floor as well. Plan C. David is frustrated by now. This guy's not doing what he should be doing. I can't even get him to sleep with his wife. So now he has a plan C. He writes a letter, and he says, Uriah, take this to Joab, the commander of the army. In the letter, little did Uriah know that in, his, in this letter was the execution instructions for Uriah. 
And because what King David wrote to Joab, he said, I want you to take Uriah all the way up to the enemy wall. That's where the archers are. That's where bricks are thrown. That's where boiling oil is thrown down. And people die by the hundreds near the wall of the city. So he says, I want you to take them all the way up to the wall. And then when you get up there, I want the troops to withdraw and leave Uriah up there. And sure enough, that's what happened. And Uriah's killed. Aha, the grieving widow is married by the valiant, handsome king who rescues her, marries her. Now, it's about a year later. The baby's been born, maybe a couple of months. David, I think, is thinking, I got away with it. I mean, the engine light was flashing, but I ignored it. I guess it, sometimes it works out okay. The funeral's been done. It's a year later. He thinks, I've escaped. Life goes on. Let me move on to the next thing. But he can't get away. Oh, you can never get away from that still small voice inside of you that says, wrong. I think every time he looked at that baby, he was reminded, you know what? This was wrong. I think when he looked at Bathsheba into her eyes, he was reminded this was Uriah's wife. I think when he went to worship at the temple and to pin a psalm or raise his hands or sing a song, I think in his mind he thought there's undealt with issues. But we become very good at silencing the voices. Oh, you've done it, right? Oh, you've had that conviction inside that you've silenced. You, you've squelched the voice. You've said, no, I'm not going to listen. You've hardened your heart. Because if we drown out the voice hard enough, long enough, we can stop hearing it, stop seeing it. The Bible calls it the hardness of the heart. You're listening to Moody Presents, and we're happy that you've chosen to listen in. We're praying that it's not an accident and that the Lord is really speaking to you today in a special way. We'll get back to the message in a moment, but first, here at Moody Presents, We really want to be your ally in helping you move beyond shallow spirituality. And that's why we love to share proven resources with you in your spiritual walk. Right now, for example, we'd love for you to stop by moodypresents.org and choose the Moody Publishers tab to view hundreds and hundreds of helpful resources meant to take you further in your next step in your walk with Jesus Christ. Again, that's moodypresents.org. And while there, you can check out Pastor Mark's daily teaching program called Bold Steps, all at moodypresents.org. Well, you know, you and I can ignore those warning lights, and occasionally, God will have to resort to other ways to get our attention. With part two of today's message, here again is Pastor Mark Job. So one day, as David is going about his business, the baby's there, he has his new wife, things seem like everything has gone okay, we're moving on to the next chapter, he gets a call, and there's someone that wants to see David urgently. Who is it? It's Nathan the prophet. He's a man of God. He's talked to David different times. He says, David, I need to see you. There's an injustice that has happened in the land. He comes before David. Nathan the prophet says, I have to tell you a story. There was a man that had a lot of sheep, a lot of flocks, and visitors were coming into town. 
And instead of killing his own sheep, he looked for another man who only had one single little lamb. And he stole that lamb from that man, and he slaughtered it, and he used that lamb to give to these, to these other men so that that person was left with nothing. King David was enraged. How could someone do that? And Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are the man. Listen, sometimes when you're not listening to that inner voice or you choose to ignore the light that flashes on the dashboard of your spiritual life, God will get your attention other ways. Uh, If you don't listen inside, God can raise prophets from the outside. God has ways of getting your attention. Sometimes it's through the voice of a friend. Sometimes it's through evidence that leaks out. Sometimes it's through some consequence that pops up in your life that forces you to deal with the issues. Sometimes God has a way of somehow rattling our cage to let us know you cannot get away with the consequences of disobedience. You have to deal with the issues. The Bible says that finally, David, caught speechless, said to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned. Well, yeah. Not only should you never underestimate the snowball effect of hidden sin. You see, some of you may think you're just opening a small door, but I want to tell you, with one door, a lot of stuff can go through one door. And you may think it's a little issue. Little issues turn into big issues. Now, the fourth thing I want you to understand is that we should never underestimate the consequences of disobedience either. You see, there's a difference between forgiveness. The Bible says that David said, I have sinned, and he truly was repentant before God. And Nathan the prophet says, God has forgiven you. But he said, but... But the sword will be on your household. Your son will sleep with your wives. There will be tragedy in your house. You see, some of you think we can sin and just say, oh God, please forgive me, and that it's all done. But I want you to know that God will forgive you and can forgive you, but there's still consequences to our sin. Oh yeah, you can murder someone. And God can forgive you. Even murder can be forgiven. But that doesn't mean that you won't have to serve 30 years in prison. Well, Pastor, I fell with this boyfriend. We got sexually involved, you know, but I've asked forgiveness, so it's done with. Yeah, it's done with. But you know that sexually transmitted disease that you have now, that one day you'll have to explain to your husband how you got it, will be a thorn and an issue in your life. Oh, oh, I know you treated your wife pretty poorly for quite a few years, and, and, and you've asked God for forgiveness, and she's forgiven you, but here's the thing. The journey to restore trust in your marriage is a long journey that doesn't happen overnight. 
Oh, I know you've asked your teenage kid to forgive you because you lived crazy and wild and, and, and were abusive in your language and so forth. And he said I, he forgives you and God has forgiven you. But you know what? The scar that's left in his soul that leads him to rebellion later in life and that surfaces in his soul. Hey, those are some of the consequences of our life. Oh, I know you've cried out to God and asked for forgiveness for the way that you were gambling your money and, 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 and using it, but that $30,000 debt that you have now, God has forgiven you, but it put, still puts stress on your marriage and puts stress on your family, and it, it's are consequences of our past. You see, God can forgive you spiritually immediately, but it doesn't erase the consequences of disobedience. Some of you are not experiencing the lack of forgiveness. You're just wrestling with the consequences. David, the consequences, his baby died. He cried out to God, but the baby still died. He lived with guilt. His son Absalom did a coup on the kingdom. He had six of his wives living in a house and Absalom went in and slept with all six of his wives to his father's shame, his own son. David had to leave the throne, his head down, covered as people insulted him. Consequences of his sin. God did forgive him. And God did restore him. But the journey back was painful. Last point. You should never underestimate the power of repentance and restoration. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to hear me well. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been there, no matter how deep you've gotten into whatever you've gotten into, there is a place for turnaround and change. God can forgive and restore, and change, and wash, no matter what your past is. I want you to know that. Listen, if your past is bigger than the blood of Jesus, then, then your past is bigger than the grace of God, and there is no such thing. No such thing. I want you to know that. I want you to know that God can forgive, that God can restore. You may be here this morning full of shame and guilt over what, how you've lived or what's happened in your past, and I want to say that God can wash and cleanse and forgive and restore. God can take the darkest of sins. God can take the, the multitude, no matter where you've been or how long you've been there or what has happened in your life, God has the power to wash your slate clean. That is how God works. He makes all things new. That's the way God works. There is no one here beyond God's power to change. No one. And if you're here today saying, well, you don't know where I've been, Pastor Mark. If you only knew, you would, I doubt you'd want me in this church. Listen, I, I don't know. And, and listen, spare me the gory details. But I do know this. That it's not bigger than God's power. You say, my, even my mother has given up on me. The love of God is greater than the love of a mother. Now hear me well. I'm not saying it will be easy. Because the deeper you've gone, the more you're going to love, 
but the longer the journey to restoration. And some of you get cleansed by God, but then the journey to wholeness and freedom and the journey out seems like it's a long journey. God has a lot of repairing to do in your life. If you're willing to stick it out, he can restore everything that, the, that like, like the Old Testament says, he can restore all that the locusts have eaten. He can restore it back to your life. As long as David kept his sin hidden, he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's Psalms 32.3. He said, there's something about sin that's kept hidden that doesn't allow us to heal, doesn't allow us to move on. There's a place and a time where we need to confess our sins to God, and there's a place and a time where we need to confess our sins to others so they can pray for us. Now, I want you to notice the difference. When we confess our sins to God, it's Jesus who forgives us. When we confess our sins to others, it initiates the journey to healing. It is not others that forgive us or absolve us. It's God who does that. But it's others that pray for us so that we can initiate the journey to healing. Maybe you've been stuck in the foyer of Christianity. I want to challenge you this morning to realize and recognize that God is calling you to go to the hard places in your life, to deal with it, to come clean, and to move on with God. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I really do want to encourage you to look inward. Look at yourself closer than you ever have before. What, what hard places do you need to examine? What sins need to be confessed to the Lord as well as others? You know, we're all in the same boat. We all have a, a need to, to take a look within. Let me pray for you quickly as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, would you help us be honest? We invite you to shine the unfailing flashlight of the Holy Spirit in every crack and crevice of our souls. We don't want to hide anything from you. Point it out, let us confess it, and walk wisely with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Moody Presents today. And a quick reminder that today's and all of Mark's messages heard right here on Moody Presents are available on our website. If you've missed anything or maybe just want to go deeper, there you'll also find ways to partner with us to keep this ministry coming your way. Go to moodypresents.org. We hope you're learning, that you find encouragement, and that you're challenged by what you're hearing. Well, until next time, I'm John Geiger, and this is Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.